COVID-19 has impacted the people Mental Health Association Oklahoma serves every day. People impacted by mental illness, homelessness, substance use, and justice involvement. And we continue to serve the most vulnerable in our communities, but that's coming with many unexpected expenses. We have established a COVID-19 relief fund to assist us in the emergency services we are providing. Help us serve our participants in need of rental assistance, mental health care, food and shelter, and other basic necessities. Go to Mental Health Association Oklahoma's Facebook page to contribute or visit our website at mhaok.org and hit the donate button at the top of the page. And then another fear I have is, is basically running out of donations, running out of supplies so we can help the individuals shelter in place at their camps. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason, and on today's episode, I have two awesome guests, Mike Bros, CEO of Mental Health Association Oklahoma, and Jessica Kelly, who heads up Mental Health Association's Homeless Street Outreach Program. Mike and Jessica, welcome to the Mental Health Download. I'm glad to be on here, Matt. And Jessica, Mike and I really wanted to have you on the show today because your team is really making a difference during the most challenging time that we can imagine. Yeah. And Jessica, also, if you could kind of maybe give a real brief synopsis of what homeless outreach looked like for you and your team pre-COVID-19. And then we can kind of move into how we're having to do it now to keep everybody safe. So I think it'll be good for the listeners to kind of hear what does what is homeless outreach? How does it normally function? What do you guys do? How does it work? What does a pre-COVID-19 day look like? And then we can kind of get into what it looks like now. So pre-COVID-19, basically street outreach was we went out daily. And so we went out and met with people on the streets. We would go to where citizens called us, or we'd also do something called rapid response, where the police would call us and we'd meet with the Tulsa Police Department. And then we would reach out to that person. Instead of that person going to jail, we would transport that person to whatever location they needed to go, if that's the shelter or a resource or, you know, back to their camp. It was basically a diversion. Since COVID-19, unfortunately, we've had to, we had to put the brakes on outreach and really like reach out and, and plan on what outreach looks like now on how to keep participants or people experiencing homelessness safe as well as the staff. And so currently we go out Tuesdays and Fridays. And what that looks like is we don or wear a mask. And then we also wear gloves. We carry hand sanitizer. We carry Lysol. We travel in separate vehicles. And right now we are just going out to, I say just, there's quite a few. We're just going out to the encampments. And so encampments means like the camps where people are staying. And so the goal is is to provide education to people about COVID-19, what the symptoms look like, check in to make sure that nobody's exhibiting symptoms, and then leave food, clothing, water, any type of supplies the person may need so they can shelter in place. You know, one of the things pre-COVID-19, Jessica, we've always focused on how to uh, get people out of the encampments into encourage them to come into the shelters where we can, it's easier to help them and work with them on the next phase of ending homelessness on the streets. But that's changed right now with COVID-19 to some degree in terms of the encampments. Can you talk about that a little bit? 
Absolutely. Yes, the dynamics of the shelters have changed drastically. The shelters are trying to keep the people who are most vulnerable safe as well. And so a lot of them have limited the amount of people that can come in. And so we now have an influx of people who are out on the streets and sleeping outside. And, and you know, the city's trying to figure out what to do with the overflow of people. I think that they just approved today the, the juvenile center for the overflow of people who are needing to go to the shelters. And so we are seeing more encampments because of this, of people sleeping unsheltered outside. And law enforcement has really made a decision, and we have supported that. Right now, if people are in encampments and they're well right now in this COVID-19 world we're living in is to not break those encampments up, to let those people continue to basically self-quarantine. I, I don't know if I'm wording that right, but isn't that, mm -hmm. is that fairly accurate? Yes, that's accurate. In fact, our team, I just had a meeting with Scott and Heather who are on the outreach team this morning, and we came up with an idea of bringing out trash bags and seeing if we can't get those individuals to clean up their area. So when you know, police start enforcing, you know, the encampment rules that they'll, they'll maybe take less harsh ruling. We're also working with the city on, you know, if people do clean up their area, do they necessarily have to leave right away? And so that's what we're working at there. Police have actually been very helpful. I get text messages daily about encampments that they're seeing from police officers. And so wanting us to go in and check on, on the people there. So on a normal day, again, I keep, I'm, for our listeners, I keep kind of going back and forth between pre-COVID-19 and currently because so many things are kind of, I call it upside down, inside out. Uh, some things have had to drastically change to help keep everyone as safe as possible. But I think we're trying to look at how to deliver food, water, medicine to some of those encampments so those people aren't so, when they're hungry, they don't venture out and go out because they are hungry. They need to forage for food, that kind of thing. So again, we're trying to limit and do some things that we might not normally do a little differently. So try to keep people safe and within those encampments. Have I got that right or am I, am I mistaken yeah. on it? No, you have that right. Pre-COVID-19, we would go out and we have something called PACS that we hand out to people in the packs generally have a, a bottle of water, socks, depending on the time of year, there might be hot hands or bug spray, suntan lotion. There's generally some sort of hygiene product as well, such as wipes, you know, feminine hygiene products, sometimes soap as well. And so since COVID-19, our packs have changed to more hygiene items such as, you know, Soap, wipes, band-aids, trash bags, but then also we are adding more food to that because people aren't wanting to leave their camps because what we found out is, you know, there are some camps that are highly educated on COVID-19 and there's some camps that aren't educated. And so the camps that are highly educated, they're not wanting to leave the camp. And so the more food that we can bring them, the safer they are. We actually have one camp and they have a designated runner. And so only one person leaves the camp. So only that one person gets exposed to people. And it's, it's really great that they're doing that. 
I know we've done a lot of work over the, a long time, but particularly in the last six months, meeting regularly with law enforcement representatives to talk about how we can better collaborate and help people, help them stay out of the criminal justice system, get the services they need. Is law enforcement, are they on board with all this? As far as I know, the Tulsa Police Department is on board with it. I haven't heard any complaints. I do have conversations with a few officers. They message me information about individuals that they're worried about that have mental illness, and they're like, they can't go into the shelter for whatever reason. They might be suspended because they're violent, um, and they're deeply concerned about these people, and so they're asking if we've seen them and if they're safe. In terms of you and your team, I know you're... There's a lot of, we've had lots and lots of conversations about not only protecting yourself and your team, but also that the reality is we could be infected, not showing symptoms, and we could actually infect someone that we're trying to serve. What sort of equipment protections are you using and what kind of equipment do you not have that would be helpful to this process of uh, homeless street outreach in a COVID-19 world? The equipment we currently have are face masks. Um, We actually had N95 masks donated to us, so we'll be utilizing those as well. So we use face masks, and then we wear gloves, and we have Lysol, so we Lysol down the trucks. We also have a few wipes as well. Really what we could use is like some safety protective glasses, because I was just reading some education that COVID-19 could be airborne and it could go into the membrane of your eyes. And so if somebody's coughing, that is a risk. And so we could really use safety goggles right now that what the team is utilizing is sunglasses. When you approach an individual or a group of individuals or homeless, whether they're in encampment on the streets, I know you guys are practicing six feet or more social distancing, I think. But how does that work with some of the people you're encountering? Do they respect that? Do they understand that? Or do you have to remind them about distancing? How does that work? What we've experienced is when we've gone into camps, a lot of times people seem to be more educated at most of the camps. And so they respect that six foot rule. Now, as far as street outreach, just going to places like Quick Trip or something like that, and people recognize us. Generally speaking, what I have noticed is that there's a higher level of anxiety. And so when we ask, hey, we're we're trying to keep you safe and us safe as well. We need six feet. Some people get a little anxious about it and they don't understand why and they get a little frustrated just like you and I because they've been socially isolated. If you think about it, the library's closed. I mean, all the places that that person used to go to is closed right now or it's on some sort of modified version. And so their whole world has been, you know, kind of thrown into chaos. And so that person may struggle because they also have anxiety or some sort of mental illness. And it's hard for them to understand now, why do I have to stay six feet away from you? We had to early on make a decision to close our drop-in centers, both in Oklahoma City and Tulsa, the Denver house, of course, here in Tulsa. And I know that that was a very hard decision. I was a part of that decision-making process. What impact has that had on the work that you guys do For the first couple of days, I will say, you know, me and my team, we were like, I don't know how to navigate this. And so we were so focused on what we couldn't do that we really weren't strategizing on what's available and what we can do. And so I want to say 
About the third day, I walked into the office and we did social distancing and we did, you know, I'm going to have to give a nod to Chief Baker. We did a old-fashioned whiteboard. And so we did a strategic planning of how are we going to do outreach? How are we going to keep us safe as well as keep people safe? And then what supplies do we need? And so, I mean, we came up with all sorts of ideas. In the beginning, it was a, it was a joke. We had like a a catapult that somebody drew on on the board. And so I was like, oh, well, hey, that's a great idea. Maybe we should start just focusing on encampments and just like kind of leaving supplies at the encampment and not really trying to speak to anybody. And so it started out as a joke and then turned into this great innovation of like how we can innovate and how we can still meet people's needs. Yeah, I've been calling that creating a new business model within within a COVID-19 world. Again, we hope it's temporary, but at the same time, I, I, I think that that just that process that you described, and I know we as Mental Health Association Management, we heard a lot of criticism from that we were pulling people back, keeping them away from their passion and what they're paid to do. These are jobs of passion and caring, and we were holding back. But it sounds like you guys were really able to make that transition to maybe we can't do this this way, but we can do it different in another way. And, and I've seen the mood of the team change a little bit around that. Yes, that's accurate. At first, my team was very anxious because it is, you know, anxiety provoking when you have a job and you can't do that job. And so, you know, it's also brought in some great partnerships. For instance, Becky Gligo has, has come up with some great ideas of how to modify outreach, as well as Jennifer Rivera, who's the coordinator of Denver House. She and her staff have been so helpful in between like them collecting donations for outreach, but also Jennifer Rivera's lent some of her, her team as well to go out on outreach. So it's been really nice. Yeah, that's encouraging. And, and what about the collaboration with the other teams, the other outreach teams? What does that look like right now? So right now we are going out with City Lights and that is um, headed up by Tyler. They're doing an outreach. John 316 is also doing outreach. They're not doing outreach with us, but they're still going out. And then also the VA is helping us as far as collecting data and then looking in HMIS and just kind of making sure that we're going to the camps that we need to go to. Mobile medical intervention team. What role are they able to play with you guys right now in terms of some of the integrated healthcare assessment that you guys come across. What does that look like right now? Jackie actually came to Denver House on Tuesday to show us how to use the thermometer because we are taking body temperatures of each team member going out prior to going out to make sure that the individuals that we're meeting are safe. She also showed us how to, you know, properly don our masks along with the Tulsa Fire Department. They also provided us with PPE education as well. Whitney on mobile medical, she has been a great help because I've actually gotten phone calls from people outside the community where they're like, this person is experiencing homelessness and they're coughing and they're, they're showing some COVID symptoms. You know, what should I do? 
And so I've actually reached out to Whitney and she's been able to help me navigate that system. And so Mobile Medical has been doing great. I've actually been speaking with them on how we can integrate them more into outreach because we have been seeing, you know, your your normal day-to-day illnesses, uh, such as like infections and then allergies as well. And so I've been speaking with them on how do we modify Mobile Medical so we can, you know, reach out to those individuals and provide the services that we used to provide. And what role is technology playing to help you do this, this new business model of serving our homeless population and street outreach? We've always utilized technology, but what role is it playing now and how is it being helpful or how in what ways is it a barrier? So we're utilizing more technology with each other within the group, especially when we need help. The barrier we're having with technology is that people who are experiencing homelessness, they do have cell phones, but cell phones, you know, they they don't keep them for very long for various reasons. They drop them, they lose them, um, they let somebody borrow it and somebody steals it. And so there's not a consistent number to call to FaceTime. And so what we're running into is how do we use technology, but then also take out that human element. And it's almost impossible to do, even when we're looking at, you know, doing like technology to do things like the VI SPDAT, which is a vulnerability index. Um, It's an assessment to assess, you know, that person's housing needs. Like how do we assess people and start housing people utilizing technology? And so that's the biggest barrier that we're, we're right now trying to address. Just a couple of last questions here, Jessica. What is uh, the ability to get people housed and out of either the shelter system or out of the encampments? How is that going? Is your perception of your team that things are bogged down or moving slowly? Or how, give us a, a snapshot of where we're at with that, Jessica. Well, honestly, um, I think everybody is kind of building the plane right now as it's flying as far as housing is concerned. It is moving slow. We aren't housing anybody right now just because, you know, you have that barrier of how do we house somebody and keep the staff safe and keep that person safe. Because, you know, when, when we house an individual, it's a pretty lengthy process. And so there's, you know, HUD documents that we have to fill out. We have to assess the person. The person also has to go and get a mental health assessment. There's quite a few steps. And so basically what we're looking at is how do we reduce the amount of steps, but then also how do we meet that person's need with as little contact as possible? And so that's really what we're working through right now. I am excited. I got an email asking like if if I were to house somebody, how many people would that be? And so we were able to give our numbers like absolutely we have this many people available to house today that wouldn't need, you know, too much assistance. And so I think that I'm going to say into next week, we should look into, we could be housing people. And so I'm super excited about that. A couple really brief last questions. What is your biggest fear or concern? My biggest fear is that it is exposed to the population, um, especially the shelters, just because there's so many people there. And I worry just because I don't worry for myself getting it. I worry for those individuals because there are you know, people out on the streets in their 50s and 60s. And so, you know, the, we're looking at you know, people who don't have a place to stay 
that then have to ride out the storm of COVID-19. And so my biggest fear is, you know, that the people that we serve that will see, you know, an increase in deaths. And that's a scary thought. And that's really something that keeps me up at night, as well as if my staff were to get COVID-19, what does that look like? And, and you know, where do I find, you know, different staff and how do I support my staff when if they were to get sick? And then another fear I have is is basically running out of donations, running out of supplies so we can help the individual shelter in place at their camps. I do worry about that just because when I go to the grocery store um, and I'm trying to find paper towels and toilet paper and bottled water for my house, it's low. And so I I just try to think of what this is going to look like if we start going into, you know, a couple months of this modified outreach. Like, what does that look like for donations as far as food, water, and hygiene sources? Masks are very important, and they're also something that, you know, you can only use them a few times, and then you have to discard them. And so the more masks we can get, the better. But then also, you know, things like, you know, Clorox wipes, or something that we need because we do have to wipe down our trucks. We also have to wipe down donations. And I, I don't think that people really think about that when they bring a donation and, you know, we have to disinfect that to make sure, you know, that we're not exposing ourselves or exposing somebody else. And so we have to Lysol all of those donations, even the bags to make sure that everybody's safe. And then once again, like protective eyewear, stuff like that. So that those are my fears. I I speak for the whole of the community and state. We want to just thank you guys and honor you for the work you guys are doing right now. The community of the state is very, very indebted to you and the homeless outreach team here in Tulsa, also the one that we operate in Oklahoma City. So on behalf of Mental Health Association and, and the community and state, thank you guys for the work you're doing on behalf of some of our very, very most vulnerable citizens trying to help them be safe and get the things that they need so they can thrive and hopefully get housed housing and be able to be rewoven back into the fabric of the community as we go forward and we all of us appreciate the work you guys are doing well thank you and we couldn't do this without you know great leadership as well as you know, being able to collaborate with in mental health association with other programs, but then also community like the community as well. I will say that is a silver lining of COVID-19. I've actually met my neighbor that I've never met before. Just, you know, it seems that the community, even though we have to be six feet apart and social distance, it seems like the community has come together. And so, you know, we really couldn't do this without people donating supplies and, and funds. So in closing to our listeners out there, you can participate. Uh, You can be a part of this homeless outreach team here in Oklahoma City that we operate by through the donations and gifts and concerns, gifts of, of money that we need to operate, gifts of items that we need. As Jessica mentioned, you can be a part of this. Feel free to contact the Mental Health Association and let us know if there's anything that you would like to help us in contributing to continue the work of Jessica Kelly and her fabulous homeless outreach team. 
Honestly, as far as donation, what I would prefer is for somebody to donate money just because that keeps the person in their home. They don't have to come to the Denver house. They don't have to expose themselves going out to the store to get those donations. And then they don't also have to expose themselves taking those donations off and dropping them off at mental health associations. So for the safety of everybody, really donations in money would be the best way. Right. I just, to our listeners, I mean, the one thing I've learned in this work is that nobody, doesn't matter who you are, uh, doesn't matter what your political persuasion is or what your religion is or where you come from, nobody likes to see people homeless. But so many people don't know how to participate. And Jessica, in her and her team here have expressed in this podcast what they need and allowing people to do their part. And we're all in this together and to benefit one of these people benefits all of us. So just to encourage our listeners, go on our website, find us on Facebook um, and make a donation uh, so we can obtain these supplies and be able to allow Jessica and her team to continue this very important work on the streets of Tulsa and in our, on the streets of Oklahoma City. Nice. Okay. And Jessica, as we do at the end of every podcast, we ask the guests to share a bit of wisdom and then uh, give Mike's rallying cry, which is go do good things. So Jessica, take it away. I'd like to thank you for um, bringing me on to this podcast. I want to give a huge thank you to my team members, Heather and Scott, and then a huge thank you to Jennifer Rivera, Amanda Pippen, and James. They are invaluable to the outreach team right now. We couldn't do all the areas that we service right now without them. And then I really just want everybody to, you know, remind everybody that, you know, people experiencing homelessness, that's you and I, that's, that's everybody. It's something that could happen um, to anybody. And if you're sitting at home thinking, you know, that'll never happen to me. I mean, you're really like not thinking that through and, and fully understanding, you know, you, it could be as easy as you getting laid off or, you know, your landlord selling the property that you're living at. And so, I really want to reach out to the community and remind people that people who are experiencing homelessness are our community and that is us. And so if you support them, you're supporting your community and then go do good things. If you're looking for a way to be a helper during this time, truly one of the best ways to get involved at Mental Health Association Oklahoma is to make a donation Anything will help us continue to serve our participants during this difficult time. So visit Mental Health Association Oklahoma's Facebook page and donate on the COVID-19 Relief Fund or go to mhaok.org and hit the donate button at the top of the page.